Well, hey, welcome to the Walk On Podcast. Following Jesus is a journey, and I hope that this podcast helps you take your next step. You know, lately I've been thinking about all of these phrases that get thrown around by Christians and Christian circles. Um, Many of these phrases are pulled out of scripture or they come from scripture, but the way they get used doesn't always line up with the original meaning or the original context that we find in scripture. I, I talked about this in the last episode when I talked about the lion and the lamb. And hopefully that brought more light and understanding to that phrase. In this episode, I want to look at another one of these phrases that gets used a lot. We use it to encourage one another, but I'm I'm not really sure we fully understand what was being said by it. Um, that's the phrase that Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Now, this gets used all the time. And and usually when this is said, it's, you know, a form of encouragement, like maybe there's a prayer meeting or a Bible study and not a whole lot of people showed up. And so we want to encourage one another. And so we're like, you know, Jesus said that that he's with us wherever two or three are gathered. And and this is true. You know, I get that how this is an encouraging statement. But my question is like, why two or three? What about one? What about four or five? Is there some kind of heavenly quota that has to be met before Jesus can show up? Is he up in heaven and he's looking down? He's like, okay, there's one. There's one. Oh, oh, no, that's a group of four. Ah, there's three people. I can show up. Here I come. You know, like, uh, yeah, I, I'm being a little facetious here. Um, but but I think that's worth asking. Like, why two or three? That seems like an oddly specific thing to say. And those are the kind of questions, if you pay attention and you ask them, those are the questions that can lead you to discoveries in the text if you let them. So uh, let's take a look at the context where this phrase comes from and uh, and just see what we can discover. Uh, but first, just a little side note, um, allow me a minute to reveal my hidden agenda if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably noticed in the last several episodes, this pattern where I, I take a confusing or misunderstood scripture and I bring clarity to it by looking at the bigger context. You know, I did that with the uh, the Fear Not series. I've done that with the last several episodes and we're going to do it with this one too. I've been doing that on purpose, right? One of the ways that I want to help you take your next step with Jesus is to help you better engage with his word. And unfortunately, I think we've been taught mostly to engage the Bible in a devotional way where where we take just one scripture and we kind of just read that and um, let it encourage us or make us feel good, you know, um, but but we pull that one verse out of context often. And and that's not a a horrible way to engage the Bible. But if I'm honest, it's kind of like biblical junk food. Right, a, a little bit is good, but if your whole Bible diet is just this devotional reading where you pull one verse out and think about it, if that's the only way you engage in Scripture, then you're just not going to be spiritually healthy. So, what I've been trying to do with these episodes is to indirectly show you how to engage with larger sections of Scripture and how to look for the context and let the context of what's going on help inform and interpret those single verses that often can be confusing or misunderstood. So there you go. That's my hidden agenda. Uh, Read your Bible, not just a verse, like 
read whole chunks of your Bible, read whole books of your Bible. It's going to help you. Okay, on to the phrase at hand, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. This comes from uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Now, when you look at uh, that section of scripture, you actually find a couple of other verses right around this that are almost equally as confusing. Um, verse 19 says, uh, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. And then the verse before that is this weird verse talking about binding and loosing and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and what you loose on earth will be loose on heaven. You know, like in, we can view those individually and be really confused by them. But I think when we look at the broader context, it will shed some light on that. And so I'm not going to directly talk about those other two verses. We're going to focus just on what Jesus says about where two or three are gathered in my name. But in our conversation, I bet you will gain some tools to look at those verses differently as well. Okay, so let's zoom out a little bit more and look at what Jesus says before and after these confusing verses. So if you jump back to verse 15 in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus begins to address how to confront someone about their sin. He says, if your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then he goes on, he says, if they still refuse to listen, then you bring it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then you treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, did you notice that the reference to two or three in there? And if you have a, a, a good study Bible, there should be a footnote telling you that that reference, what Jesus just did is he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 19, 15. Uh, this is a verse where it says that one witness is not enough to convict anyone of a crime that they uh, must have a matter established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So in Deuteronomy, this command is a, a protection against false witnesses so that a conflict doesn't just become a, you know, a he said, she said thing. And so as Jesus is talking about how to handle interpersonal conflict, he references this well-known law, this well-known Jewish law that, that his audience would have known. And so this broader section of Matthew 18, Jesus is instructing his followers to always be working toward reconciling relationships, right? He lays out this framework to follow to, to, hey, go one-on-one, -on -one, talk to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. And then if that doesn't work, then bring along two or three witnesses to talk to them. And if that doesn't work, then involve the broader church community. And I think more than just a framework of how to handle conflict, what Jesus is laying out here is the importance of seeking reconciliation and, and the importance of dealing with conflict. Right. It's it, if you notice all of these steps, there's step after step after step. And the tendency, I think, for most of us is just to pull back, you know, maybe even after we've been hurt, maybe sometimes we don't even confront the person and we just pull away. And we, you know, the tendency is to just cancel someone because they hurt you. Right. Or um, you just kind of pull away. It's almost a one strike and you're out policy. But Jesus is letting us know that relationships are crucial. 
And we must do everything we can to seek that reconciliation, to confront those, those problems straight on. And, you, you know, to do step after step after step, go to them one-on-one and then bring some people along with you and involve the broader church community. It's just attempt after attempt after attempt to bring reconciliation and wholeness um, to this situation. So Jesus is talking about the importance of those relationships and how we need to try and try and try to bring reconciliation there. And then Jesus mentions those confusing verses that we talked about. But then after those verses, what happens? Well, it says that Peter then comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So Peter's response asking about how many times do I forgive somebody who sins against me lets us know that all of those confusing verses are just a continuation of the theme of conflict, how to handle conflict and how to bring reconciliation. And so Peter suggests that maybe we should forgive somebody up to seven times. And then Jesus says, no, not seven, but 77. And in the Jewish mind, seven represented this idea of completion. So Peter thinks he's offering a pretty generous answer. You know, hey, I, I should forgive somebody seven times. And, and then Jesus emphasizes it even more. He says, no, not just seven, 77. He's essentially saying, never stop forgiving. He's letting us know that in God's kingdom, there is no end to forgiveness. So followers of Jesus, we should model that as well in our own relationships. It's the importance of doing everything to try to reconcile and bring healing and restoration to our relationships. So let me give just a quick side note on forgiveness, because really this could be a whole episode or a whole series in itself. Um, When Jesus is talking about forgiving, he's not saying, hey, just, you know, pretend like what they did wasn't a big deal. Um, You know, just like, just let them off the hook. He's not saying any of that. What he's saying is when it comes to forgiveness, he's talking about releasing someone from the debt that they owe you, right? When they hurt you, they, they owe you this relational debt. And forgiveness is you saying, hey, I'm going to release my right to get even or to seek vengeance or to make them pay. And I'm going to give this relational debt to, to God to deal with. And I'm going to choose to release them from that, to forgive them. And what it also does is it releases you from the weight of bitterness that, that carrying that hurt around um, can cause. And so forgiveness is a choice that you make, whether the other party apologizes or asks to be forgiven or not. Now, forgiveness is not mindlessly choosing to trust the person again or letting them back into your life without proper boundaries, or it's not saying what they did wasn't a big deal and that, you know, it didn't really, it wasn't that bad. No, forgiveness is what an action that you take on your end. But then the other party, for a relationship to continue, they still need to apologize and own their mistakes and seek restitution and begin to build trust, which takes a long time. But forgiveness is what we do on our end when we've been hurt. We choose to forgive to take the first step for that reconciliation to happen. And so when Jesus talks about unending forgiveness, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about doing everything that we can to make those relationships right, but also recognizing it it takes both sides. 
Uh, it, it's kind of like what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He's saying, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this whole section of scripture is about striving to work through relational conflict. The beginning talks about how to confront somebody about their sin. And then um, Peter asks this question and Jesus talks about the importance of forgiving, of laying groundwork for the reconciliation to happen, for the, um, the relationship to eventually, hopefully be restored. So all of these teachings are very countercultural to us today. Right? I mean, it's natural to just passive aggressively ignore the problem and walk away from a relationship. I mean, it's natural to go behind somebody's back when they've hurt you and gossip and slander them and cause the relationship to implode. It's natural to cancel someone because of the harm that they caused you and then just never deal with them again. But here, Jesus calls his followers to a value of the kingdom of God that every relationship is worth fighting for. Jesus challenges us to confront the issue in truth and love and do everything we can to reconcile relationships. He challenges us to endlessly forgive in the same way that God endlessly forgives each of us. And I know that this is not easy. And that's why the statement that we're looking at is so profound. Because right in the middle of these difficult teachings about forgiving and reconciling relationships, Jesus talks about where two or three are gathered in his name. He is there with them. And we know that the two or three is a reference back to Deuteronomy, the verse he quoted earlier. So this isn't some nice platitude that Jesus gives us. This is a robust promise that as we find ourselves in the middle of conflict, fighting for a relationship, that Jesus is with us, that we are not alone in that fight. He's in the trenches with us. As we lovingly confront those who have sinned against us, he is there. As we fight for reconciliation, he is there. As we wrestle to forgive somebody, he is there. It is his strength that empowers us to pursue wholeness and health in our relationships. It's his strength and freedom that lets us seek forgiveness and lay off the bitterness and find healing for the hurt that's been caused to us and to seek out and give relationships another chance. And it's the call of the kingdom to live differently than the world around us, to model grace, love, truth, and commitment in each of our relationships. And that's good news. Where two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus is with us. And he is helping us work through the the difficult journey of healing relationships, repairing those hurts, and finding wholeness and peace with the people around us. So I invite you in these next few moments to a time of prayer and reflection. As you look at the relational challenges that you have in your life, where do you need to be reminded that Jesus is with you? Take a moment to pray and invite Jesus into those settings. Are there any relationships 
that maybe you gave up without truly trying to seek reconciliation? Are there any next steps that you need to take to try to repair those? How can you better reflect the love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus to those around you? Take a moment and ask Jesus to help you. May we come to realize the centrality of relationships in the kingdom of God. It's all about relationships, to love God and to love others. And may we model to the world a different way, a way of commitment, a way of truth and love and a way of forgiveness that seeks wholeness and health in every relationship. And may we realize that Jesus is with us as we strive towards those relationships. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can let other people know about this podcast by sharing these episodes or by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast provider. That just helps other people come across this podcast and discover it as well. Thank you so much.